This episode is sponsored by Agent CRM. If you're in sales and tired of paying three, four, or five different companies for your email, CRM, funnels, phone, follow-up automation, check out Agent CRM. It's an all-in-one tool that combines all that you need to reach out, nurture, and close your clients. They've got weekly support calls so you can get up and running in no time. Get a free 14-day trial by going to the link below in the show notes. Hey everyone, this is Dan Nguyen with the Intentional Entrepreneur Podcast. I have a very special guest with me today. He is a, a lifelong entrepreneur and has uh, uh, stumbled upon, I suppose, into um, a structure that can save business owners and investors um, uh, taxes and protecting their assets. And so I do want to welcome to the show, Steve Keller. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me, man. I'm pretty, I'm excited to chat. Yeah, yeah, me too. And and, and when we got connected and and uh, and I got your information, um, you know, was very interested in what you have uh, are, are going to share with us today. Uh, but before we kind of get into it, um, you have a very interesting journey of of, of entrepreneurship and and a business being a business owner. So uh, tell us how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it is a, a pretty interesting journey that, uh, how I got to where I'm at now. And I, uh, I went to college for TV, radio, and film. So I studied TV, radio, and film found out I wanted to be uh, a camera guy in sports TV. That was kind of my dream. So, um, I was lucky enough to get an internship at ESPN while I was in college. And then, uh, that turned into, uh, a, a full-time job offer, you know, just a few months after I graduated. So, what I went to school for, got a degree, uh, landed my dream job was, was working my dream job right out of college. So, um, that was a pretty neat experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, I found out pretty quickly that, um, the big company, that life just really wasn't a good fit for me. And so, um, I, I just don't really think I'm that great of an employee. And so I was like, well, what, what other options are there? Well, I knew that, you could be self-employed in my line of work as well. There was people who either worked as a staffer full-time and, you know, W2 employee for these networks, or you could, you could be an independent contractor. You have your own equipment and get hired by the various networks. So I thought that sounds like more up my alley. So I went down that road and, uh, I quit my dream job after one year of working at ESPN and decided to say, you know what, I'm going to go out on my own. Uh, I'm going to buy some equipment and, and see how I fare. So I, um, I did okay for myself and found my way. I ended up going outside of sports for a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, worked on some political shows. Wasn't my all time favorite thing, but it was an opportunity. And then eventually got back into the sports world and spent about 10 years, um, you know, traveling around and, and working on sports shows and doing all sorts of cool things on the road. That, uh, was a ton of fun, but along the way, I was always interested in business. I always thought, Maybe I could be a business owner one day. I don't know. I, I went from being employed to self-employed pretty quick. And so, you know, the next jump from self-employed to business owner, I thought, hey, maybe that's possible at some point. And I really started to, right after I quit, I worked on a political show and we had a guest on our show named Robert Kiyosaki. And I'd never heard of him before, but his book was out on, on, our, on a table in our studio and I picked it up. And I was like, I felt like I had heard Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the name of the title book before, but I picked it up, started thumbing through it and it was like, huh, this is pretty interesting. So I, I ended up just buying the book myself and that sent me down like a rabbit hole to read everything that he'd ever written. And, um, and now I look back and kick myself cause I was in the same room as Robert Kiyosaki and, you know, didn't shake his hand or get a picture or anything. He, you know, at the time I was just like, ah, just another guest on our show talking about his book. And, um, and now I, now it's funny to look back on, but yeah, that kind of sent me down the path of going, you know, Oh, okay. Well, I already see that I made the jump from entrepreneur or from uh, employee to self-employed. And now I could, you know, he talks about the, the quadrants and the different, mm -hmm. you know, areas you can work in. And so I still spent, I was really good at being self-employed. Like mm. I, 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 like it, it worked for me, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it and I made a good living and, you know, I still had some structure, was my own boss in some senses, but you know, you still get hired. You're still a vendor and mm -hmm. working for some other company. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I did it for a while, realized I didn't want to do it forever. And so I was kind of thinking, mm, what are my exit strategies from this industry or this lifestyle? And had always kind of thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll start a business or buy a business one day. 
Hmm. Well, I became pretty good friends with a business broker. And so I learned a little bit about buying businesses and I thought, man, that that's pretty cool. That would be a, like a really interesting way. And his advice to me was always like, do not start a company. <laughs> he was like, you know, some people can start companies. I don't want to discourage people to start companies, but he was like, just go buy something. Man. Mm. Like eventually like get your education to a point where you can go buy an existing business and the success rates are typically higher. I mean, there's risk in everything. Right. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> and so fast forward, uh, I've been doing this for a while. Well, COVID happens and sports shut down globally. So I'm immediately out of work. I'm a freelancer in sports TV. So all of a sudden, boom, NBA shuts down. I remember getting that call because I was booked on a flight like two days later to go do an NBA game. Mm-hmm. And NBA was the first professional sports um, league, you know, to shut down. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So, you know, and we had no clue. And, you know, nobody knew what this was all going to be, right? And so in our industry, we're like, what is this going to be? A week, a month, six months, a year? Like we had no idea. And so as at the same time, I found out that my wife was pregnant with twins. So a lot of things happening, you know, wife's pregnant with twins. I don't have any work anymore. Um, I had some other things and we live below our means. So I wasn't like financially panicking, but I was like, probably should figure something out. And I was like, well, probably never a better time than now for me to figure out, like it kind of forced my hand a little bit to go, well, maybe I should start. Look, I got a bunch of time on my hands. My wife's pregnant and I got to figure something out. And so I thought, man, maybe now's the time to do it. So I, I started looking at small businesses to buy and I ended up buying one and don't know, it's a crazy story how I got involved in this, but I ended up buying a crime scene cleanup company. So went from working in TV, being a camera guy, uh, and, all of a sudden I bought a crime scene cleanup company. And, and so, uh, didn't, you know, people always ask like, how did you pick that? And I was like, I didn't really pick it so much as an opportunity presented itself, right time, right size of business, right play. Like everything just made, made sense. It just happened to be, I was looking for service, so looking for a service business, okay. you know, something where we go out and service people at their home, uh, or, or, uh, businesses at their place of business. And it just happened. And I learned a little bit about it. I really liked the guy who I was buying it from. I kind of became friends with him. He was actually a broker and I was looking at another deal of his that just ended up not working out. And we were playing golf and man, the topic came up and he's like, I didn't really want to tell you about this because I wasn't trying to, you know, conflict of interest. I'm not trying to sell you my business, but I'm about to sell my business. And so I was like, well, I know, like, and trust you already. So let's go down that road. And it just worked out. So I bought that. Uh, TV ended up coming back. I worked in TV for like another year. I did one more football season and then um, decided, okay, I can walk away from this. Kids are had been born by that time growing up. And I was like, I want to get off the road. <clears throat> this should be a fine replacement. And then I just kind of realized that I, I'm a, an entrepreneur in the way, in the sense that um, I have shiny object syndrome, right? Like <laughs> always looking for something else to do, right? Yeah. I get bored easily. Yeah. It's just like all right. those, those kind of typical things that can happen. And, and I don't really even like calling myself an entrepreneur. Like, I feel like it gives myself too much credit. I just, I'm, I don't know. I'm a business owner and I, but I used to be a camera guy and I don't know, I'm just trying to figure it out like everybody else. And so my confidence grew and I wasn't looking for another business to buy, but I wasn't not looking for another business to buy. So I'm always perusing, right? right. I'm always right. Window shopping. At- window shopping, checking it out, looking at deals like that, that, that's what excites me. And another deal I found on market and it was another crime scene cleanup company, but it was much more established, Mm. been around for 20 years, a lot more revenue, a lot more profit, a lot more employees, like just, you know, where I wanted to take my company that I had already bought, but they were already there. And so I was like, man, I know enough about this industry that I'm confident enough, but this was a seven figure deal. And my first deal, I was a six small six figure deal. And I had borrowed a money out of our retirement accounts to pay for it and then paid it back because of the cares act during COVID. And so that was kind of the way that I financed my first deal. Just, we did it ourselves through our retirement accounts and then paid it back and everything's great. Um, but for this one, like, okay, I got to go out and get a, a seven figure SBA loan. Mm-hmm. Well, SBA loans are personally guaranteed. And so a lot more risk, you know, down payment, money out of pocket, all that stuff, right? Like what happens if this goes south? Well, I'm on the hook for a pretty significant monthly note payment for the next 10 years. <laughs> so, and that's on me, you know, like that's personally guaranteed. And it doesn't matter if the business goes bankrupt, I'm on the line for it. So, but I felt confident enough with my experience in the other business. And I was like, you know what? I've done it before as far as 
taking the next leap of uh, faith and just kind of being like, well, I mean, you're never going to be ready. You know, yeah. you're never going to be fully ready, ready. So at mm-hmm. some point you got to jump in. And I was like, you know what? It just, again, right time, right deal size, right industry, because I had the experience. And also this, in, this business was in a different state <laughs> than I lived oh, in. Wow. So I live in Texas, the business that I, the most recent business that I bought is in Florida. So now I own two crime scene cleanup companies and, um, and yeah, I've, I'm looking at more deals. I'm always looking at stuff. Uh, I've got plenty on my plate right now. Two kids, two businesses, you know, so <laughs> I'd like things in twos apparently. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, that's, so that's kind of where I'm at today. And yeah, you know, obviously the other topic we can talk about is the trust structure, but I, I, I stumbled into that, you know, kind of as part of being a business owner and just understanding different aspects of it. Yeah. And you know, buy more businesses, make more money, pay more taxes is kind of, kind of the deal, unfortunately. So, so yeah, that's, um, kind of the high level wacky way that I got to where I am. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't change it. It's been a lot of fun. So, uh, so crime does pay despite what we've been told our lives. It does. You know, it's funny. Uh, I talk a lot about saving taxes because I talk about trust, you know, my trust strategy and the, the ways that I have it set up in my business, but I also am in the death industry. And yeah. so, um, death and taxes, man, uh, those are uh, ring, ring true for me more than anything. Now it's kind of funny. I'm like, wow, I really do. Maybe I should write a book called death and taxes. <laughs> um, and how, you know, how it's, uh, it showed up in my life, but yeah, yeah. The crime industry, uh, it's crazy. It's fascinating. Uh, weird to say fascinating because nobody likes crime. Nobody likes death, but look, we're all, uh, we all have the same fate and we're all headed for the same place eventually. And, um, look, the reality is, um, when stuff happens, people need quality, reputable companies to help them out. And so, um, yeah, that's what we strive to be in both of our markets that we're in. Yeah. I I was talking to a friend of mine and she's having a conversation with her daughter and, you know, daughter's twenties or thirties. And the daughter says, Hey, if I die and the mom, the mom's like, no, no, no. Mother Nature is 100% in this category yep. right here. It's not if, but when. When, yeah, so, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, so now, you know, you're, you're, you're rolling along two businesses and you've got, you've got, I don't know, maybe it's not a problem, but you got to figure out maybe how to, like every normal red-blooded American, got to find yep. out a way to reduce your taxes. Yeah, so I was like, man, I just know that there's, I just know that there's something that the uber wealthy aren't telling the rest of us. Right. You know, I feel like they know, they know stuff we don't know, or they've got, they've got friends and, and, and loopholes and structures and tax things and whatever, you know? And so I was like, man, I, so I just, as part of my network, I'm always asking and I, and I try to surround myself with people who are uh, way more successful than me. And I'm like, Hey, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like, who's your CPA? What do you, what kind of stuff are you guys doing to mitigate your taxes? Cause my tax bill goes up and the more, the more money you make in any part of life, the more taxes you typically pay. And so, um, yeah, through my network, I found out about this, um, structure and strategy using, using a specialized trust. And I was like fascinated by it, but also, very skeptical, like most people are, right? Like, wait a minute, this seems too good to be true. Why isn't everybody doing this? You know, I had all the same questions. And so I just did my due diligence and went down the rabbit holes and, and was like, wow, this is, and, and found, a, um, somebody that I, that I was introduced to that I had, uh, trust for the mutual introduction. So I was like immediately like, okay, this guy, I, I trust him right away because he came from somebody who I really know, like, and trust. And they're like, Hey, this guy's a legitimate guy. And so we had a great, you know, great conversations about it. And and ultimately I decided it was, it was, um, a good fit for me and my family. So we decided to put it in place. And so, um, I can give you, I think the easiest way is I, I kind of give a high level of, uh, of how I have it set up and how it benefits me. And then, uh, you'll, you'll have questions I'm sure. And we can kind of go from there. And I'm definitely curious. I'm super excited to talk to you because, um, I haven't talked to an attorney about stuff like this before. And so I'm, I'm really, really curious to get your, um, feedback, poke some holes in it, you know, ask me the questions now, keep in mind, I'm not an attorney myself. I'm also not a CPA, so I'm not giving advice and, uh, certain things I will answer as well to my knowledge, based on what the CPAs and the attorneys tell me, this is my understanding of it, but, um, I'm just a business owner who, uh, who has this in place. So, um, my trust is set up as a family trust. Um, I'm the, I'm the trustee and my wife and two kids are beneficiaries. Pretty straightforward structure. Um, the specific way that it was set up and written by 
the attorneys and CPAs was specifically for a couple of these benefits that you can use like uh, tax deferral. So according to the IRS code, um, there's a way to defer taxes uh, within trust in certain ways. And so the way that we are allowed to do it according to the, you know, to be compliant with the IRS is um, my trust has to have passive income coming into it. And if I have passive income coming into it, then there will be expenses that the trust can pay for. And then whatever's left over can, can be tax deferred on the, um, the tax return that the IRS files or, uh, that the, that the trust files. So the trust has to file its own tax return. Trust has an EIN, has filed tax returns, has its own bank account. It's basically a family bit. It's like our family business, right? Right. right. But it's got to have income. And so in order for it to have income, um, all I've done is change the structure of my entities around. So now instead of me owning 100% of my LLCs, I only personally own 10% of each LLC. I'm only a 10% member in each LLC. And my, my trust, my family trust is a 90% limited member, not, you know, not active in the business because it's just trust. So it's essentially an investor, right? It's, okay. it owns 90% as a member and it gets a K1, um, as a passive, as passive income. So that's how I get passive income mm. from my businesses into the trust. So it flows that way. And then 10% flows to me. So for those that aren't as familiar with how, you know, entity structures and business, it's, you know, LLCs and stuff are set up and LLC is a, a pass through entity. Mm. And so typically what uh, happens, and again, I'm not a CPA, just a business owner who's been told this by people much smarter than me, mm. but um, your business operates out of the LLC. It's its entity. And then at the end of the year, um, however much profit your business shows, that is what flows, you know, after your deductions, after your depreciation, all the stuff that your bookkeeper does, whatever your net profit show, your net income on your P and L shows that would typically flow to your personal tax return. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. And so now, uh, only 10% of that flows to my personal tax return because I only own personally 10%. So 90% of it goes to the trust. And then in that environment, that income is treated much differently because of the things it's allowed to do with with the specifics of uh, what the IRS code states. And so now that that's, so step one is to get income, passive income into mm -hmm. my trust. Now that can be from real estate. That can be from uh, interest, dividends, you know, it can be from other, other avenues. It doesn't just have to be business income, but mm -hmm. that's how you can take business income and, and get it there. I couldn't operate the business right out of the trust. Cause then it would be like, well, the trust is actively involved right. in it. Right. 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 So in order for it to be passive income, still have to have the LLC and it just be an investor. Got it. So once I get the income in there, then the trust has expenses that it's allowed to pay for mm. things for beneficiaries. It can pay for my kids, uh, health mm. and education costs. Same thing with my wife, who's a beneficiary, any healthcare or education costs that she might have. So for me specifically, my kids are, um, a couple years old, a little over two years old now. Um, they both are in daycare, sending two kids to daycare at the same time, not advised, very expensive. <laughs> Um, so it cost me a lot of money to do that. And, uh, but they go to a Montessori, they learn mm -hmm. it's an education place and that is now a trust expense. Mm -hmm. So, um, and a significant one at that. And so I can use the, the, the income that's been sent from my businesses to my trust now to pay for that. So ultimately I'm, you know, in a roundabout way, able to deduct some personal expenses because right. now they become trust expenses. Right. And so then the strategy becomes, well, I need to have more personal expenses become trust expenses. And so in order for me to do that, the strategy that most people employ is they sell a lot of their personal assets to their trust. Mm -hmm. So I sold my home, my cars, every other real personal asset that I have inside my home or anything other, you know, else of value. I don't have, I used to have a boat. I don't have it anymore, but any, you know, anybody who has their assets, they sell them to the trust. And then that now becomes trust property. It's owned by the trust. You don't personally own it anymore. Um, but now also becomes a trust expense. So now mm -hmm. in that environment with those tax deferred dollars of income that I'm sending there, uh, not only can I pay for my kids daycare, well, now I can pay for my mortgage and my taxes and my insurance and my cable bill and my internet bill and my, you know, you get it, my lawn guy, my pool guy, and all, all those things that were personal expenses are now trust expenses because it has to pay for the asset that it owns. So, um, that's really the power, right? I mean, mm -hmm. same thing with our vehicles, right? And, and when my kids are 16, well, I'm not going to buy them a vehicle in their name or in my name. I'm, the trust is going to buy a vehicle that they're going to be allowed to drive and use mm -hmm. because they're beneficiaries of the trust and they're allowed to do that. So, um, so that's, that's the high level of the strategy from a tax 
from a tax mitigation perspective, right? I'm able to effectively mitigate 90% of the taxes that would have typically flown, you know, uh, flowed to me personally on my, um, from my businesses now flows there and it's just gets treated much differently over here in this environment. And look, wealthy people have been doing this for hundreds of years and haven't really been telling all that many people about it. So, um, it also used to be really way more expensive to, mm-hmm. to get into something like this, where it just mm-hmm. didn't make sense for the average everyday business owner or somebody who owned a one or two businesses or was a real estate investor. So now uh, it's attainable and yeah. it's uh, it's super powerful. And also, obviously, some other um, benefits to it. I become much less of a um, appetizing target for a lawsuit. I don't own as much, nearly as many assets personally. All my biggest personal assets are owned by another entity that I don't own them. So that's one thing. And then, you know, uh, transference, you know, generational wealth transference, like when I die, this, this will get handed off to my children and not in a way that a traditional trust would where in a traditional trust, I own the, uh, I own the items personally, and then they get transferred to them personally and there's taxes and things that happen. Well, in this case, I'm just the trustee who controls everything. So when I die, somebody just takes my place and then they Mm -hmm. control it. Um, And in a perfect world, uh, I don't die until I'm older and my kids are old enough to take over um, and their kids become beneficiaries. And that's kind of how the, you know, the legacy and the generational thing can go on. But after, and and after I'm dead and gone, you know, it's up to them to take, to, uh, to take the responsibility of it on. So, yeah. So, um, you know, just, you did say you're not an attorney and CPA. I'll also kind of caveat for our listeners. I am an attorney. I'm not your, I'm not any listener's attorney. And so, uh, don't only take this information that I say out of my mouth for entertainment value or educational purposes yeah. only. Um, but, uh, I, I guess the first question is, um, what's kind of like where either net worth or yearly income where someone might think is like, all right, I need to start thinking about doing this to make it yeah. worth it for me. Great question. Yeah. Um, well, the the first key is it's much harder for W two employees. Like if you're if you're if you're a high income W two earner, like there are strategies that are different than the strategy that I have, but also still use the the family trust and some other types of trusts. But it's more so suited for business owners, real estate investors, anybody who's got non W2 income. So you can even be self-employed. Like I could have used this for 10 years as a camera guy had I known. Um, so the question tip that typically the people that we talk to that are most interested have, as far as tax liability goes, that's kind of the, the main thing that we talk about. Like if you've got a tax liability of, say 25,000 and up and the higher you go typically it, up to a certain point. Cause if you have like hundreds of thousands or, or um, half a million or more or millions of dollars in tax liability, you probably have plenty of, you know, people on your staff, uh, attorneys in-house, CPAs in-house, that type of stuff. So it's typically for those who, who have a tax liability, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of small business owners, a lot of self-employed people, um, you know, pay, 20, 25, 30, $50,000 a year in taxes if they, if they have really good income. And so that's kind of the threshold. And I say that because the, the, like at the time of this recording, the, um, the base cost to get into something like this is about $25,000. So it's got to make sense financially, right? Like you're not going to spend 25 grand to save $5,000 a year probably. Cause it's just not as big of a, you're like, man, I only pay five grand a year in taxes, whatever. Not really going to be that big of a benefit, but you know, I talked to a lot of people who are like, oh, I, I paid $100,000 in taxes last year. I paid hundred fifty grand in tax. I paid seventy five grand in taxes. I'm sick of it. I am so sick of writing that check every year. And for a lot of small business owners, one of their biggest expenses is, is cutting a check to the IRS. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's when people really start to perk up. And the cost of it is for the people that are a right fit, the cost of it and the barrier of entry for that is like a non-issue, right? They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't care about that, right? Yeah. It's just more so like, how is this going to work for me? Those are the big educational things. And, 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 they're, and for me and everybody who hears about it for the first time, it just takes some time to like change your thought process and understand how this is set up because it's just different than we typically set things up in our financial lives, right? It's a little bit more of a, I don't want to say advanced, it's just different. It's just a different way to do things with a specific beneficial outcome. And when people start to see that, then they're like, a lot of people that I talk to about this, they're like, Steve, 
like, you don't have to sell me. Like, I just have to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, there's, I don't have a choice. Like there's no, like, I wish I didn't have to do that. I wish it was easier. I wish you could just, I could just save yeah. taxes another way, but like, I have yeah. to do this. And it's not, it's not like a big giant pain, but it's just different. Right. And people don't like change. And so that's, it's getting over that hump of like, okay, I'm gonna have to operate a little bit differently, but the outcome, you know, and the benefits, you know, usually massively outweigh the learning curve to get, mm -hmm. you know, up to speed and make sure that everybody feels comfortable with, um, how they're going to operate now. Yeah. So you, uh, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, obviously set up this trust, try to characterize uh, that particular income as, as passive income. So, um, I know you're not a tax guy, but if you can answer this question based on what you've researched and what you've experienced. So my understanding is as trusts are typically taxed very high. I think around 40% is what their income tax rate is. So if if that still holds true for this particular structure, is that idea to really just zero out um zero out the income on the trust so that there's no there's there's no income? Or is correct. Yeah. So the tax return gets zeroed out. And the way that it gets zeroed out, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Uh, one way is if you have, say, um, the same amount of income coming in that your, your income and expenses are the same. So like, let's say you decided, well, my, I, I did the math and my personal yearly expenses are X, right? Let's say for ease of numbers, just it's a hundred thousand dollars, right? It costs me a hundred thousand dollars to pay for all the things that I'm going to sell to the trust and it's going to manage. Well, and I also send a hundred thousand dollars of K one passive income from my businesses to the trust. So now it's got $100,000 of income, $100,000 of expenses. There is no profit to defer, right? There's no, there's no income to defer. It zeroed itself out, mm -hmm. right? Now the problem becomes when people send a lot of money into the trust and their expenses aren't that as much as that. And they're like, okay, well, I sent a half a million dollars in there in, in business income mm -hmm. from, from my businesses. And then I've only got $150,000. Now I've got this extra stuff left over. What do I do with that? Well, that is where as long as it was passive income to the trust, the way that you zero it out is there's literally on the tax return a, a part of it that you telling the IRS, I'm going to defer this income and not pay taxes on it because I'm allocating it to the corpus of the trust. Right. And that's just a fancy term for saying you're not going to distribute it to any beneficiaries. It's not going to go anywhere. You're basically setting it aside in a, in a certain sense. Um, now you're still allowed to use that money to buy assets or pay for other expenses, but basically at the end of the year, you're saying, Hey, this is what I had left over, but it's not going to get distributed out to the beneficiaries. I'm, I'm going to defer it. And so that's another thing people are like, well, if you're deferring it, you're going to pay taxes on it eventually. Right. Which is a really valid question. And the answer to that question is a little complicated because the, the actual answer is yes, at some point there would be taxes owed on that. But the only time that's ever going to happen is if you distribute the money out of the trust directly to a beneficiary, uh, if you pay yourself a salary as a W-2, anytime anything gets distributed out of the trust to anybody, whether it's a beneficiary or not, it's going on that person's personal tax return, mm -hmm. right? They're getting a 1099 and it's flowing to their personal tax return. So that's when taxes would get paid on that. Mm -hmm. But if the strategy is done correctly, and you continue, you continue to defer it every single year, it grows within that trust. It can be reinvested in other things. Mm -hmm. um, and you could just keep that money in that ecosystem mm -hmm. in that completely tax deferred environment. Mm -hmm. And my plan is to never have to pay that taxes on that. I'm to continue to, I shouldn't say not to pay the tax. My, my plan uh, is to defer it during my entire life because, mm -hmm. and then I'll die and then it'll be up to my kids to say, well, what do you want to do with this money? Do you want to distribute it to yourself and pay taxes? I wouldn't advise that, but mm -hmm. they could, you know, and that's when the taxes would get paid on it. So that's why it's, um, legal. It's, it's very similar to, from a tax deferral perspective, a 1031 exchange, mm -hmm. a 1031 exchange is a tax deferral. You're saying, Hey, IRS, let me keep this money to go invest in another piece of real estate but there's rules around it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'll pay the taxes later when I sell that next property. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing, right. You're saving the taxes, then you're gonna have to pay them later. But in, in real estate with 1031 exchanges, you know, eventually you probably run out of the ability to continue to do them. There's a high mm -hmm. failure rate because there's rules around them, all that stuff. Yeah. And you have to find a property to buy also. Um, and so this, this is another reason why real estate investors love this because, capital gains is no longer, mm -hmm. is no longer an issue, right? You could buy a property today and sell it tomorrow. And if you made a hundred thousand dollar gain in the tax deferrable environment, you don't have to worry about it. You don't need a 1031 exchange. You could just sell the property, keep the gains 
in the trust. And as long as you don't distribute them to yourself, you yeah. can go buy another property, you can go buy a business, you can invest in high yeah. hyper growth funds, whatever you want, buy Bitcoin, you know, it's up to yeah. you, right? Yeah. Yeah. The trust can own any asset it wants um, for its own growth and for the benefit of the beneficiaries. So, yeah. And then, then the, you kind of briefly kind of alluded to it. It's like, you're not restricted by the 1031 rules, right? Like kind exchange, right? You can buy. Correct. Yeah. None of that. You so it's to. Just, yeah. Yeah. So that's in, in real estate. Um, it really kind of defeats the perfect purpose mm -hmm. purpose of a 1031 exchange. You don't have to do them anymore. You can, you, you do it within the trust environment. You don't have to play by those rules. You could say, Oh, I just really want to sell this asset right now, but I'm going to have a huge capital gains hit. Well do it within the trust at, um, environment. You don't have to worry about it. Don't need to find another property. You could just sell it, keep the gains in there and wait for the next deal or whatever the case may be. Cause you know, that's why people want to exit those. There's, there's it's, Hey, it's the right time to exit. But if I don't have another property to roll it into, I'm going to have a huge tax bill. Yeah. Well, now you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So it, it seems like because you can you can keep the uh, gain, so to speak, inside inside the trust, there's um, not say minimal, but there's maybe less planning. Right. Because I figure well, a lot of tax planning is like you maybe even meet with your tax professional like every quarter. Right. To say, all right, here's the next quarter. Here's the year. And we get to put more money in, move more money out. With with this particular strategy, it looks like it's it's a little bit softer in the sense that it's like you don't have to be so so rigid. And if you keep the 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 money in the trust and not distribute it, then you can just keep you know kick the can down the road a little bit longer. Yeah, and and you can avoid those conversations where it's like, oh, I got to call my CPA to see what else he wants me to buy before the end of the year to save taxes. So it kind of eliminates some of that. Well, it can eliminate a lot of just the the. I got to spend more to save some yeah. right on the taxes. Like, well, if I'm going to buy whatever, you know, for my business anyway, or vehicles or bonus depreciation. And, and there's so many other things that, you know, I'm learning as a business owner and things that I didn't even know about before, like depreciation recapture. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't even know that was a thing until recently, you know, until not long ago, until I got involved in this. Cause I was like, Whoa, I didn't know that when you depreciate stuff, the, the government gives you the tax breaks on it. But then when you go sell that asset, you have to recapture all of that depreciation. So it's like they get you on the they get you on the other side. <laughs> this also completely takes care of that. So yeah. it definitely changes your strategy because mm -hmm. um but but yeah for me simplifies it because it's mm -hmm. like I don't need to run a bunch of as many personal things as I feel like I can get away with through my business. Or mm -hmm. I don't feel like, oh I gotta do this for the tax write-off because I don't I don't need to show I can and as far as buying and selling businesses goes, I can make my books look super good from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas I can be ready to sell my companies and exit my companies at any any time because I don't need that like three year runway where most people are like, all right, if you're gonna sell your business, ideally start a few years before you're ready to sell it so that you can make your, you know, get all the crap out that you shouldn't be, you know, showing, make your books really shine, make your tax, you know, your tax uh, returns look better. And so you can do that all along the way because you're just not gonna get, you're not gonna get hit with it because you'll be able to just defer it and keep it in that environment. And and like, as you defer it and kick the can down the road, like, let's say you're like, well, I don't know what I, what other assets I wanna buy next, or I'm waiting for another deal, real estate or business. Well, in the interim, that money in, in the trust can be invested in other like safer things just just to earn interest on that money as well. Like, And that's not a taxable event, right? The trust can invest in whatever it wants to and, and earn uh, passive income. So it can continue to grow and defer the gains on all of that as well. So you, it starts to become a pretty uh, beneficial, awesome, fun cycle you mm -hmm. know, for the people who have it set up correctly and run it and operate it the right way. Because there are um, illegal and abusive ways to run trusts, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. there are abusive trust tax schemes that are out there that are, that are not compliant with the IRS that will get you in very big trouble. This is not one of those things. This just plays by the rules. And there are like, like, just like there is when you're talking to your CPA or you, one CPA says something different than another, like, can I write this off in my business? And one CPA will say yes. And another CPA will say no. Right. There are some of those discrepancies in this world too. So it, it does matter who you're talking to mm -hmm. as far as the strategy goes, like CPA wise and, and professional service attorneys, because you know, you, you want to stay compliant. You're already have this an amazing vehicle to mm -hmm. defer taxes and, and really have a powerful impact on your financial future for your families and your businesses. Like there's no reason to, to like do things that just are not going to fly if you yeah. ever get audited. So, yeah. um, 
I always say that there's, so people are a lot of times ask the question, like what can and can't you buy with the trust? Like what is and what isn't a trust expense? Well, if it owns an asset, it can pay for that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are assets? Well, boats, cars, homes, pieces of real estate, you name it, right? There's gold, Bitcoin, any, any sort of asset it can own, it can pay for that, buy and sell it, whatever. Um, things that it cannot pay for as a trust expense would be, we call them the three Fs, fun, food, and fashion. So you do need to have, right, some sort of income outside of the trust environment, which, you know, for me, 10% of both my money, my company's flown to me. My wife's also a W-2 employee. So for our family, the way that we have it structured, our setup works for us. And it, you know, it doesn't mean that everybody has to have 90% of their business owned by a trust if they, if they put the strategy in place. Some people might want to do it differently to find out how much, how much money do I need in the, the, the normal environment and how much money do I need in the trust environment? Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to make it work. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and the, the, the other key is that, um, if I sent all of, you know, the maximum amount for me, like I'm sending 90% there, but I'm like, Whoa, I really do need some money outside for fun food and fashion mm-hmm. because I don't have enough outside, but I need it. And I want to spend something on fun food and fashion, but I can't have the trust pay for it. Cause I know it's not allowed. Mm-hmm. I can always give myself or a beneficiary distribution. Mm-hmm. So you got to we'll pay taxes go, on that one though, right? You got to pay taxes yeah. on it. Correct. Yeah. 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 So you're out, it's not like it's under lock and key. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like it's tied up in the, right. there's no, you know, penalties or, or yeah. things that you pay. You just pay yeah. taxes. Right. So yeah. yeah, you would just pay, it would just go to your, whoever you distribute it, yeah. distribute it to, it's going to go to their personal yeah. tax. So it's always available. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of one strategy is like send as much there as you can. And then if you do think you need a little more on the outside, send a distribution, they get a 1099 and it'll go to, you'll pay tax on it. Have you seen this strategy combined with like a solo 401k plan for maybe solo entrepreneurs? Um, I don't know. Mm, okay. for, I, I have not had the experience with that. And I don't know enough about those 401k plans mm-hmm. either to, to know the how they play together. Yeah. I know there's a lot of different things that that can coexist with the trust and can be used in, in, in conjunction. Mm-hmm. That is one that I, I wouldn't be able, I would go to, you know, the folks that I work with and, and be like, hey, yeah. what, you know, talk to the attorneys, talk to the CPAs. And, and these things always come up, right? Like everybody that I talk to has such a different setup different family mm-hmm. structure, different business structure, different income, different assets. And so everybody's is really unique. Like the high level perspective, obviously the strategy's not that hard to understand, but it can get a little complicated right. depending on, on how many different moving pieces you have yeah. and what is specifically set up for you. So those are great questions. I know there's different things it can, it can do and invest in, but I don't know as far as those things that are like probably governed, you know, yeah. with Environment rules and things. I'm not sure. Yeah, and 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 this next question you may not may not know either. Um, so you know, you mentioned primary residence. Uh, some people move their primary residence into into the living trust. Do you, in this particular structure, do you still get the benefit of a mortgage deduction and capital gains exemption when you sell your primary residence? Well, you don't need the capital gains exemption anymore because okay. the trust owns it. So when you go to sell the property. Trust owns it, trust sells it, capital gains are in there. And so actually could, um, if you haven't owned your personal residence for more than two years, which is how you avoid that. So if you you owned it and sold it after one year, the trust is actually beneficial because then you get the same, you know, it's, it's a way to get the exemption without the exemption, right? Yeah. Um, and then the the deduction, uh, no, because it's not, it's not from your, it's right. not, you don't own it. Right. So you're not going to get it. But um, again, it's, it becomes a moot point, right? right. So, um, so yeah, that, that is the, you know, the only caveats that happen with, uh, with the primary residence being now owned by the trust is you've got to have beneficiaries living in it. It's it, okay. like mm-hmm. for the most part, right? Like it's kind of hard to justify why a trust would own something just for the trustee. Now mm-hmm. the, some of the like compliance things that come into play as well is like, well, I'm the trustee, um, but I live in the house that the trust owns. As the trustee, I'm not supposed to benefit from the trust. So I got a couple options. I could have somebody else be the trustee and I'd be a beneficiary, mm-hmm. but then I'd be giving up complete control of everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to do that, right? And there are there are definite um, ways that I can be compliant and live in this house because I do need to live in this house for trust purposes. Mm-hmm. But I also do use this house, which is a trust asset, for personal use, mm-hmm. which I just need to have certain things in place to... Uh, basically compensate the trust for that. So mm-hmm. there's, there's different things that you can do. There's some different strategies. This is where like some CPAs will differ from others. Mm-hmm. You can have, you know, I can have a lease agreement that just says, Hey, for the personal use of this residence, 
me, Steve Keller is going to pay $500 a month to the trust. And I'm just moving money from my personal bank account to my trust bank account. And that's it, right? I'm, that's for the personal use. Now there's also an argument to be made. Well, the, my beneficiaries live here and this is an asset that the trust needs to maintain. And I need to be here to make sure it's maintained. So I need mm -hmm. to live in this house. I need to make sure that the bills are getting paid and the lawn's getting cut and the hole in the wall got fixed and the fence that, you know, needed fixing gets fixed. So, um, there's, there's some of those types of things, which are the same types of conversations you're having with your CPA about your business taxes. It's just, it's just related to the trust stuff. And so it's like, yeah. you know, make sure you have somebody that you trust that has experience with the trust and the tax returns and the, and the compliance as it, as it pertains to these, um, this strategy specifically. When, when you found a professional help you with this, uh, did you, did you research and found this strategy on your own and then found the professional to help you? Or were you kind of just looking for the result of, of mitigating taxes? And then, and then this, this professional showed you this particular strategy. Yeah. Great question. I was looking for tax mitigation strategies, mm -hmm. had heard about this one from another somewhere on the internet. Mm -hmm. Don't even remember where, right. Ran across it, heard it, kind of heard about it before. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hmm. But then I, I, then I heard from somebody else that they were involved in it that I knew. And so I was like, Oh, I heard about that. Well, you know, somebody that actually is doing that. Let me talk to them. So that's how I got introduced to them. And then I said, okay, I've been looking for some sort of strategy, you know, for me to mitigate some taxes. I've heard about this, but I don't really know enough about it. But then I got introduced to somebody that was like, okay, let me show you how this actually works. And then I was like, okay, I did my due diligence, worked with them, felt comfortable with them. And they were the ones that actually had the company that provides this, right? Mm -hmm, that has mm -hmm. the attorneys, the CPAs that make this trust. And they, they're the ones who like basically retail and resell it. Oh, okay. Um, sell it to people and help them put it in place and then mm -hmm. give them the back office help to, you know, they just sell me a trust. And then they're like, Hey, good luck. You know, yeah. it's like they walk me through every step. Cause I'm, you know, I bill a sales that I need yeah. to sell yeah. for my cars and my house from one, you know, so it's, it's all paperwork, which is the other part that's yeah. like silly, right? It's like, it's all just an agreement, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. all trust is. It's a contract and they're written in contract law, not legislative law. So yeah. I'm not an attorney, but I've been told that 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 is one of the things where it's written in contract law. It's, it's a contract between me and the entity that's been created. Um, and it's irrevocable. And there's other, you know, there's other um, uh, characteristics of the trust specifically that when they wrote it and put it in place were meant for this to, you know, so that these things would be compliant for the strategies that are being deployed with it. Yeah. So what, what's the, what's the maintenance like on, on setting up the structure um, in terms of time and costs? Yeah. Um, cost is your normal, you know, cost for CPAs and things like that. Right. I mean, you, you, you don't have any ongoing, I mean, you have to file taxes every year with it. You need to have, you do need to keep a set of books. So, um, not everybody is going to use QuickBooks. I'm going to have a set of QuickBooks just for it. You know, I mean, so that's a software expense. Um, and, but I have that for my, I, I treat it just like the, like a business. It's my family right. business. So right. I've got QuickBooks. I'm going to have a bookkeeper, keep the books for it. Mm -hmm. The bookkeeper also uses the same strategy. So it's all very, everybody's very in line with what's going on. Um, a, a CPA who specifically has the experience in this, those are the costs associated outside of that. It's the, it was the one-time cost for me to, to get it set up, like I mentioned before. And then, um, yeah, as far as time goes, there is more time on the front end mm -hmm. to get educated, to get the initial paperwork, to get stuff signed, to get, you know, get the actual physical trust booklet and, and have everything filled out properly. Uh, you know, but these are all steps along the way that they kind of walk you through. Hey, all right, you got your trust. Here's the next step. Mm -hmm. You need to write down all your assets. All right. Now that we got all your assets, now we need to make bill of sales. Now we need, you know, and then mm -hmm. these things need to get notarized, put in your trust booklet, made copies, put in your safe, it walk you through every step mm -hmm. after that, you know, it's very much so it's got its own bank account. So it's one extra bank account for me, at least there's different strategies, but I have one extra bank account and I've got my businesses that send distributions to that bank account. And then this bank account is just allowed to pay for certain expenses. And so it's just making sure that it's like, which card are you going to use? Right. Mm -hmm. So this card can be used for these and this personal card can be used for fun, food and fashion. Right. And yeah. so it's really just kind of separating those two. Mm -hmm. um, and once you're up and running, then it's, it's pretty smooth sailing. You know, it's one extra bank account that can pay for these things over here. And then this bank account can pay for these things over here. Yeah. And, and you do your taxes at the end of the year, just like everything else. And, um, 
you know, you're not going to TurboTax, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but yeah. Uh, anybody who we're talking to is not using TurboTax right. anyway. Right. So, in terms yeah. of, um, this is a question I always ask when, and, um, you know, new uh, types of trust or asset protection or tax strategies as, as it's introduced, this is, has it been battle tested? Has it, you know, has the IRS, uh, you know, has, has the, have, have they won, not the IRS, but the other side, you know, the person, the taxpayer, have they won in, in court or, you know, have they favored, settled, uh, favorite, favorite, settled favorably? Uh, and if it's asset protection was, you know, what, what did it kind of hold up? Because what's your experience been with, with regards to research or seeing other people, you know, uh, with their experience, if, if it's been tested? Yeah. During my due diligence, a big question I had as well. And um, the, the answer to the battle tested question is yes. Mm. These types of trusts have been around for a long time. Mm. Thousands and tens of thousands. I don't know, mm. hundreds of thousands. I mean, how many, there's thousands and thousands of these trusts out there. And a lot of them have been in, in for generations, right? Mm. Trusts that have been around for a really long time. Mm. Um, so the IRS is not like surprised to, to get a trust tax return, a specifically mm-hmm. like this. Right. And I've, and I've talked to CPAs who are like, never heard of that. And I talked to another CPA who was like, I have a boatload of clients that do the same exact thing, right? They have the same exact structure, use it for the same exact thing. We file, you know, hundreds of those a year. Mm-hmm. So it's been battle tested. It has this type of strategy and structure has been around for hundreds of years and it has held up in court. There's definitely, um, and I'll, I can find some of those and send them to you. Cause I'm sure mm-hmm. As an attorney, you're probably interested in those. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, there's definitely been some, some, uh, plenty of, of court cases that had, where it's upheld specifically from an asset protection standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and everything that I hear is like when, when these things get, like if an audit gets triggered for whatever reason, right? They, what I keep hearing is they don't even look at the trust because they're like, the trust, the trust is a deferral, right? They're like, all they're doing is deferring these taxes. So they don't care as much that they're looking at, you know, the whole, the, you know, the person's personal tax return more than anything, it sounds like. And, and I'm sure that's that these trust tax returns and trusts have been audited too. Um, but I think from the CPAs that I know that have like almost all their clients or trust clients, they are like, man, we've been doing this for 20 years, filed thousands and thousands of these trust returns. We have never had one of these audited from the trust perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that was, I was like, oh, that's interesting. He's so they're, they're very much like, yeah, if you're, if you're compliant and you do it the right way, it's like, we don't, we get the trust. I mean, the trust tax return, by the way, is like two pages, three pages long. Like, it's very simple. Um, and, and it's a deferral. So when they see that it's a deferral, they're like, well, we'll get them later. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like whenever they distribute it or do it somewhere else, then that's when we're going to look at it. So, um, yeah, to my knowledge, it's been, it's been very battle tested and, um, and held up. I think the only scenarios where, um, the asset protection piece of it, I've always heard it's greater than, uh, LLC. I've heard that mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's greater than a typical, uh, living trust. As far as asset protection It's very, very hard to penetrate it because of the irrevocable part of it. And because of the way that it's set up, it's non-grantor there, I had to have a third party be the grantor to basically establish it. So there's removal there. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, these assets are for the most part, really, really locked in this, in this structure and really, really protected. Now, um, I think when it comes to, uh, things like child support or, uh, you know, um, back taxes. Yeah. Or things like, um, you know, uh, criminal type of activity potentially, I think, you know, like there's some stuff there, but I've even heard that people have, you know, gone personally bankrupt in the trust as long as it has income and pays for his expenses, doesn't go anywhere. Or somebody literally gets sent to prison for something and their trust is still there being, uh, you know, managed by a trustee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it is much, much harder. And I forget the specific, um, like legal terms for the, like the pierce and like how they can pierce these other ones, mm-hmm. uh, you know, LLCs and different trusts and like what they can overturn stuff. And that's this, this is, uh, specifically set up to be much, much more robust in, yeah. in an asset protection standpoint. It, it, you kind of mentioned real, real at the beginning, <clears throat> you know, these so powerful, we use it over for hundreds of years. How come we don't know more about it? Yeah, it's a great question. I still don't really know. I think our the best theories that I've heard are that um, well before it used, to be, it used to be really, you know, it used to be really expensive, yeah. and it used to be very much for the really really uber wealthy and elite, probably powerful politicians and powerful people in you know Hollywood and just really really super wealthy people, mm. and and it was probably um, set up by their tax teams event, or, you know, originally. And then other people figured that out and found out about it. And we're like, Oh wait, we could, we could do this elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And they also at the beginning didn't really have much 
of a reason to share it with anybody. They were saving their taxes, you know? And so then eventually I think it became more, just more well-known and, and people are like, well, I could build a business around putting these things together and helping people put it in place. And so, um, and it now it's just much more affordable. I think it used to cost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to put something like this in place or have a team that was able to do it for you. Mm. Whereas now, you know, uh, attorneys and CPAs have, you know, there, there are providers out there who provide this, not, not every, um, and that's the thing, like you might go to an estate planning attorney and be like, Hey, I want a specific trust for this reason. And they're going to be like, well, we don't do that. You know? No, so no. it has to be specifically built. And that's why I consult on it because no. there's, you can't just go get it anywhere. There are no. definitely places out there and you could find them. Um, and so, uh, but there's, there's not a ton of like places to like retail find this right um, right specific thing that's been battle tested right it's like yeah. hey look we didn't just come up with this yeah. like based on our research that we did mm-hmm. like this is the same trust that we've been using for a really really long time so. right right hey we're here with uh, steve keller talking about tax mitigation and trust strategies we're kind of getting the, on the end here um uh, maybe share one last thing about this p- particular strategy that you want the audience to know about yeah, I think I share uh, a couple of things. Uh, there's a couple of quotes, and as, as cheesy as that is, the things that I just really kind of clicked with me, right? The Ro- I think it's from Rockefeller. Some people have said it from somebody else. Either way, it's um, own nothing but control everything. Mm-hmm. It's the idea of you know not personally owning stuff, but you mm-hmm. control it. And that's, that's really the strategy and idea behind uh, using a trust in this way. And then the other one I think is really was really powerful when I first read it, and it is that there are two tax systems in America, those for the informed and those for the uninformed. And both of them are legal. And I just encourage people to educate themselves more. Even if they, nobody ever reached out to me and you know wanted my help or whatever the case may be, that's, you know, like just educate yourself on it. Open your mind to these other possibilities. Like I can tell you there's, there's thousands of people using these, using these same strategies, using these same trusts. I know personally, plenty of people using them. I use it. And so it is real and it, and it's, and it's powerful when done right. And when done compliant with the IRS. And, um, I just prefer to be informed over uninformed when I can. And, uh, yeah, seek out, seek out more information and, um, and I'm happy to be, uh, of value in that, in that, but you know, there's plenty of information out there available to everybody as well. And, um, yeah, find people that, you know, around you that you trust and, and, uh, see if it's a right fit for you because it's, it's super powerful. Yeah. I, I remember, I, um, I don't know, you know who Tom Wheeler is. He's in Robert, Robert Kiyosaki's world. I, I think he might be even his personal, um, uh, CPA, but he wrote a book, uh, maybe about two years ago. And, um, I forgot what the title was, but, uh, I, one of the takeaways I got was tax laws are written to, in, to incentivize particular behaviors. 100%. I learned that from Kiyosaki. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, and they are, and they are, they, they are, I mean, that's, that's why there's tax breaks for, for real estate. Cause they want people to create more homes for other people. And there's, yeah. And, and it is, it, it's, it's the government trying to get you to do something with an incentive of saving tax dollars. And it's, it's a pretty good way usually to, to get people to do stuff with a, a money incentive. So. All right. Here again, we're Steve Kelly with uh, talking about tax strategies before we get into the rapid fire question. Uh, I wanted to ask you a, a question back from your uh, camera operating days. Sure. Did you ever do a track meet where you held the camera and ran along the track and try to keep up with the, the runners? No, <laughs> I've never done a track meet, but I've done a swim meet. So a little easier to keep up with people in a pool because I'm walking and they're swimming, okay. but also not very, uh, <laughs> not very easy uh, or all that much fun. I will say that one was not my most enjoyable <laughs> one. Um, but as the closest I've ever come. So I did, um, I did do football <laughs> and, uh, I did more football shows than I did actual <laughs> games, but every year for a number of years, I would do, um, a couple of Monday night football games. <laughs> and, uh, in the NFL, the position that I, that I did was, a it's called steady cam and you actually wear a body mounted stabilizer. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the position where every time the quarterback runs out on the field, when the possession changes or when they kick it off, mm-hmm. there's a camera that runs out on the field with the quarterback to the huddle. And then they huddle up and then they cut to another camera and you book it off the field. So that's the closest I got where I was running out there with a, usually a jogging quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's crazy because at the same time, all of the special teams or defensive players are coming off the field. Mm-hmm. And the offensive players are going on and I'm 
I'm like the five middle. foot eight. Yeah. I'm five foot eight, 175 yeah. pounds. And these guys are just yeah. behemoth humans and I'm just trying not to get run over. So yeah. that's as close as I've come. Yeah. And, uh, as, as, uh, I didn't belong out there, but, uh, <laughs> it, it was a, it was a very, very fun and uh, wild experience that handful of times I got to do it. All right. So here we can go into the, uh, the, to the rapid fire questions. These are all business related, uh, questions. Just answer the first thing that pops in your head. Are you ready? Okay. Ready. All right. Who do you look up to? Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, what's the best business book you've ever read? It's got to be Rich Dad Poor Dad. Sorry, that's two answers back to back for him. No, no, that that actually book changed, kind of got my 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 start into, um, you know, investing and thinking differently about you know his his thing is a, hey think about assets and liabilities, and I, I finished law school and I was like oh man this makes this makes total sense so yeah I, I my kids are younger too I, I can't wait to play cash flow quadrant with them. Uh, and, I have the uh, game yeah yeah. 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 It's awesome. Um, what's the best business advice you've ever received? Oh man. Um, be good to people, you know, do the right thing. It's usually not that hard to do the right thing and be good to people, you know, be a good person. And in, in, in business, I think it, it's like, it's a people business, you know, everything, everything is, is related around people, customers and employees. And if you just do the right thing with your customers and do the right thing with your employees, um, it kind of sets the tone. And I think that that is excellent advice for anybody in business. If you can do one thing over again, what would it be? I would like, like redo it or experience it again. Uh, like uh, one thing you, that you would redo, maybe something you regret or Got it. yeah, something changed. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, but dang. <laughs> um, I would, um, I would have bought a business sooner. Mm. Yeah. I would have, I would have moved from self-employed to employee in, uh, self-employed to business owner faster. I moved from employee to self-employed really fast. And I wish I would have taken the next step quicker. Cause I, I just realized how far I could have gone. I spent 10 years self-employed, mm -hmm. um, had a great time doing it, but man, if I even spent half of those years, if I spent five of those years, you know, being in business, man, just imagine how far I'd be now. So. All right. Um, Two more questions. Uh, are you familiar with the term three feet from gold? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. So the idea is, um, well, the story goes, a uh, prospector buys a piece of land, hoping that he'll hit gold, buys all the equipment, digs, 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 doesn't find anything. Eventually he kind of gives up, sells his land to the next person and they only dig three feet yeah. before they hit gold. So the question is, how do you know when you're three feet from gold and how do you know when to pivot? Man, I just, I've always been, I've always been somebody who solves problems as they arise. I like solving problems as they arise. So I feel like whenever a problem occurs or something happens with the information that I have, I can make the best decision that's next, right? To me, it just like, I, I try to keep it very factual. I try to keep emotion out of it. So I don't even really know if this answers your question, but, um, cause I don't know if there's, there's just no way to know, like he, there's no way to, for that guy to know that he was three feet from gold, right? He could have been a hundred feet from gold. And so, um, I think you got to trust your gut and make the best decision that you can with the information that you have available and go with it. And you know what? You might've been three feet from gold, but all you can do is, is make the best decision with the information that you have. And last question is what's the biggest challenge in your business today? Um, for me, it's, 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 uh, it's staying focused because as an entrepreneur, I get distracted. And so it's staying focused and not allowing my crazy look in one way and the other to infiltrate my business, making sure I keep that away from my employees and keep them focused on the goal and let me, and then me outside of that, I can go look at other things and do things, but I cannot bring that chaos that's in my brain into the business. So that that's hard for me because I, I'm uh, honest to a fault. Sometimes maybe I tell people too many things about what's going on and what things that I'm trying to do. I have a really good GM in the business that I just purchased. And so our relationship works so well that I can tell her all those things. And then she won't just go tell everybody else. She'll just be the sounding board to listen to me and go, okay, well, we can't do all of those things. So let's figure out what things make sense. And then she can help to help implement. So she kind of helps rein me in, but that's, that's hard for me. It's a learning curve for me 
is, is doing that. And then, um, specifically in my industry, uh, it's collections. So trying to improve our collections and our accounts receivable, we, we bill insurance for a lot of our jobs and building processes around that. So that's a very specific, uh, you know, problem that I'm continually trying to improve on in my businesses. So there's one, one of each. All right. Thanks again, Steve, for your time. Um, Hey, if, if our audience wants to learn more about some of these track strategies that you've implemented, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah. Uh, easiest way is my website, stevekellerconsulting.com. Uh, there's a link to my calendar there and some information, other ways to contact me and, and some information about the trust and everything. So that's the best way, stevekellerconsulting.com. All right. We'll put those in the show notes. Hey, Steve, awesome, awesome conversation. Glad we were able to spend some time uh, with each other and hopefully we can talk again soon. Yeah. I look forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. Dan. All right. No problem.